Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today, we are so lucky to be joined by Stephen Rogelberg, who is the Chancellor's Professor and Professor of Management at UNC Charlotte. He is a professor of organizational science, management, and psychology, as well as, as well as the director of organizational science. He has published extensively and given tons of talks and colloquiums about team effectiveness, leadership, engagement, health and employee well-being, as well as organizational research methods and meetings at work. And on that last topic, he uh, recently wrote the book, The Surprising Science of Meetings, How You Can Lead Your Team to Peak Performance, which very excitingly uh, was named number one leadership book to watch for 2019 by the Washington Post. And Business Insider named it one of the top 14 business books everyone will be reading in 2019. So clearly, we've got an awesome person joining us on the podcast today. Steve, it's so great to have you here. Oh, it's really great to be here, too. So um, could just to kick things off, could you just talk a little bit about your background and how you got involved in being interested in studying the science of meetings? Sure. Um, so I'm an organizational psychologist. And, you know, as an organizational psychologist, I'm very much moved to study topics that have great practical meaning and importance, but at the same time are causing large amounts of frustration at work. And when you think about it, meetings are that perfect sweet spot, right? There are 55 million meetings a day in the US alone. So we have lots of frequency and we know that meetings are a massive source of frustration for people. And so I wanted to try to be part of the solution. I very much wanted to engage in research um, with the hope of trying to figure out how to make meetings more effective and less frustrating for people. That is such a relatable mission. I mean, I feel like I'm always stuck in meetings that are much too long and very ineffective, or there's a thousand people in the room and half of them are on the phone, half of them are in the room and you can't hear what's going on. So there's a lot of, a lot of messiness when it comes to meetings. So we'd love to hear from you what the biggest mistakes are that people are making when they're planning and executing meetings and what we can do to remedy those mistakes. Well, um, let me focus on the first part and then I'll pause um, because that's a lot um, because there are so many problems <laughs> and there are a host of positive solutions. So on the problems front, um, you know, they, the problems from an individual leader perspective um, involves leaders calling meetings that are bloated with too many people. Uh, the meeting is lasting too long. Uh, the leader is not facilitating the discussion. The leader might be dominating, um, not really trying to bring out additional voices. Um, the meeting might start late, end late. Um, there is destructive conflict as, around, as opposed to constructive conflict. So basically you have kind of this train wreck of interpersonal dynamics and the leader is just kind of watching it. The leader is not kind of embracing their role as a steward and a facilitator to try to fix these meeting dynamics so that people uh, leave the meeting saying, you know, that was a good use of time. Um, so that's kind of from an individual leader perspective why meetings are bad. But there's also a host of kind of systems-based reasons why meetings are so bad. Um, would you like to hear a little bit about those? Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. I, th I feel like uh, 
that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the number of terrible right. meetings that we've yeah. all been in. So, <laughs> so the kind of systems-based issues is the fact that despite there being 55 million meetings a day in the U.S., only around 20% of leaders are ever trained on how to run meetings. And this is an incredible blind spot. Um, so people really don't know how to do it. Then we also find in our research that if you survey people immediately following a meeting, one person tends to think that the meeting went well. Do you want to guess who that is? The person running the meeting? <laughs> yes. Yes. The meeting leader. So we know based on people's frustration that that leader's perspective does not seem to be aligned with everyone else's. So now you have no training. You have this leader blind spot. And we also know that organizations do very, very little to try to um, bring enlightenment to leaders. And what I mean by that is I've been able to present this topic to hundreds and hundreds of top talent officers at organizations. And I always ask, um, how many of you, for example, have content on your employee engagement surveys that touch upon meetings? And what do you think? How many people, let's say we have 100 top talent officers, how many of them would raise their hands and say, yes, our engagement survey covers meetings? What do you think? Take a guess. I feel like it has to be low. Yeah, very low. Because I've never seen that I before as a question. It makes, I mean, you're making a great point. Yes, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've had like two people uh, raise their hands. So now again, you put this all together. No training, individual blind spot, and organizations have not built any type of feedback and accountability systems. I mean, this is a triple whammy of problems. So this helps us understand why leaders are making such bad choices when it comes to organizing and running meetings. That makes a lot of sense. So they don't know what they're doing. And then nobody's telling them that they don't know what they're doing. So they're just sort of continuing to not know what they're doing and not improving upon that because no, there's no mechanism for people to say, you know what, you're not as good at this as you thought. Exactly. And the funny thing is, so they're also complaining about going to bad meetings, but they just don't think it's their meetings that are the problem. <laughs> it's always yes. It's always external as to who they're seeing the problems with. That makes a lot of sense. So what can they do? What can leaders do that are, I mean, obviously besides bringing some awareness to this topic and to the fact that their meetings may not be great, um, what else can people do or what can organizations do? Well, um, there are definitely lots of different, um, different strategies for improving meetings. Um, so let me focus just on what a leader uh, can do. And um, so first of all, what, are, what the research suggests is that um, having a better meeting is not A, then you move to B, then you move to C. There's not a magic formula. Instead, the best meeting leaders, first of all, kind of embrace this notion of being a good steward of others' time, right? This mindset, this mindset that they don't want people to leave their meeting thinking it was a waste of time. And when you have that mindset, you start to become intentional. You start making choices. You start thinking more carefully about what we actually need to discuss. You start thinking more carefully about who truly needs to be there. You start to kind of engage in that facilitation. You plan an approach to meetings. Um, you basically aren't dialing it in anymore. 
And interestingly, we have this mindset and approach. Every time we meet with a important customer or our boss's boss, right? The thought of those people leaving their time with us is very concerning. And as a result, we give it our thought. But when it comes to meeting with our direct reports and, and peers, that same type of intentionality doesn't seem to take hold. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So you're finding that people are viewing everyone else's other than sort of internal people that they surround themselves with every day. They value their time, but they're just sort of thinking as the, t- the time of their colleagues as being kind of a throwaway. Yeah, I mean, and think about it. Think about this podcast as an example, right? Think about how you wanted to honor my time and how you wanted to honor the time of your listeners. So what did you do, right? You made sure the equipment was working. You planned um, the experience. You thought about it. You spent a little time elevating it so that by the end, people wouldn't go away saying that was just hard. <laughs> so it doesn't necessarily take much time. It doesn't take much time. It's just <laughs> the choice. It's just the decision. Um, so that's a really key theme throughout my book. My book really says I want leaders to be intentional. And here's a variety of types of decisions they can make. And there's no magic formula. And each choice has pluses and minuses. And I want you to reflect on the people you're meeting with and your goals and just choose. Choose the approach that you think makes the most sense. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, and and the idea that the, you know, meetings, that being intentional and not just trying to think about, you know, okay, this is just this is just Joe from accounting or whoever, what's his time worth? Or, you know, like it's 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 good to think about things more seriously so that you're actually being intentional about the time. And I know also in your book you mentioned something about timing, right? Like that the actual amount of time or the way that you set time aside. So you mentioned like for our podcast, like we have a certain period of time that we've picked to have the episodes last that we think will like capture reader or listeners attention. Uh, And for blog posts, you have like a certain length that captures readers attention. Is there something to do with the length of meetings also? Um, I remember from the book. Yeah, absolutely. So we know that most meetings are typically an hour long. And why do you think that is? easy. (laughs) Basically, people just thought, here we go, 10 to 11. That's perfect, easy time. Yeah, it's really easy. It's the default setting on Outlook and Google Calendar. And this is kind of problematic because we also know from our research that um, this notion, um, uh, so basically, it's called Parkinson's Law. And this is the idea that work expands to fill whatever time is allotted to it. So a meeting scheduled for an hour magically takes an hour. So what I talk about in the book is this idea of leaders recognizing this and picking a time, right? Be purposeful, reflect on what you want to accomplish and make a choice. It might be the case that you say, you know what? I can do this in 48 minutes or 25 minutes and that's all fine. Make a choice. And in fact, once you make that choice, what I encourage leaders to do is to dial it back a little bit because the psychological research also shows that when groups are under um, low levels of pressure and stress, that they tend to be more focused and perform optimally, right? So this simple act of just thinking about time, adding a little bit of pressure should result in better meetings but it also results in giving everyone back the greatest gift you can give. And that's the gift. 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just thinking through a lot of the meetings that, you know, I've been doing one, you making me feel a little bit better because I do tend to plan when I'm leading a meeting, I tend to create very structured notes for myself to make sure I'm capturing everything we need to do and have a s- agenda. And I try, I try to be structured and intentional. So I'm great, great news that I'm doing that. Okay. Um, but when it comes to time, I actually have a tendency of doing the hour long meetings, but planning to only last 45 and then giving people time back as a gift. This is so random. I don't know if there's any research on that. I don't remember if I've seen anything on that. Like if you were to do that, do people then try to fill that full 60 minutes? Cause that's what they see. Is it better to tell them 45 or is it okay to yeah. do it that way? No, I think it's better to tell them how long the meeting is going to be and then just follow it. Um, and it's kind of like goes with goal setting theory, right? We establish the goal, we make it known and it's much more likely it's going to happen. So I think we, we proudly announce that this meeting is going to be 45 minutes. Um, we schedule it that way and then we end at 45 minutes. And so we create that sense of urgency. We create that sense of novelty. Um, and then we execute effectively. Yeah. I know in our department, uh, Herman Aguinness is our chair and, uh, after he read your book, all of our department meetings are 52 <laughs> minutes long uh, to try to keep people on like a very specific, like it's not 51, it's not 53, it's 52. And we have a very specific time frame that we're going to have this meeting in and it's going to be over when that's done and that's it. Like, And uh, we've been doing that since the beginning of the year and it's working well. Sure. it's just, I mean, it's a nice act to kind of differentiate your meetings from everyone else. And it really does speak to the power of goals and how creating that little bit of pressure tends to create more focus. Um, so I think that's terrific. I think that's terrific. And you know, basically, if you're having lots of meetings with with folks and you're constantly thinking about time, um, choosing the right times, you know, this is just going to um, elevate the meetings and you know, again, return that time, you know, to people. So we've talked a lot about meetings, the importance of meetings and making sure that they're effective, efficient. What, um, why is that important? Why is that efficiency and effectiveness important for employees? And how does that relate to, you know, talk about productivity, but is there anything in terms of wellness and well-being as well? Oh my gosh, yes. Um, so the link, meetings are definitely one of these phenomenon that uh, the research shows links to um, personal productivity and team productivity and organizational productivity. But we also have lots of data to show its connection with personal well-being. Um, you know, the frustration that is, you know, is a result of bad meetings is real. It affects people's engagement, um, stress levels, all kinds of outcomes. So there's definitely a linkage there. And then there's even kind of an exciting linkage um, between, you know, that examines the effects of bad meetings. And what it, the research shows is that when you have a bad meeting, you basically don't just leave it at the door. It sticks with you mm-hmm. and you tend to ruminate about it and you tend to co-ruminate. So you want to bring others into this bad experience. And so those are other things that can take a toll on individuals' well-being. So improving meetings has so many incredibly positive consequences. 
Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense that if you're not wasting people's time, people feel like they're being more productive, they're making more progress, they can clearly see the value of what they're working on, that their attitudes will go up and their stress will go down and people will feel better about what they're doing. And then, as you mentioned, uh, when people have higher well-being at work and better positive attitudes and outcomes, they're more productive. So it's not just a direct effect of, you know, the shortened meetings is more productive, um, but also I feel better about how I'm spending my time. So I might actually have more energy to put forth uh, into improving right. my own productivity. Um, so I think that's awesome. The the uh, last thing that I'm kind of interested in hearing about is let's say I'm not a person that leads meetings. I'm mostly a participant in meetings. Um, are there ways that you think that individual contributor employees who might be listening, uh, who maybe are not yet in those leadership positions, might be able to influence? Uh, or do you have any tips for people about how they might try to create better meetings in their workplaces if they're not uh, yet in positions of power? That's a great, great question. And, you know, unfortunately, a person who's a participant in a meeting um, does not have that many options. And that's one of the things that's so frustrating about meetings, because basically you have to relinquish your power. You have to relinquish your control. Um, and that's why this you know, leader being a good steward is just so critical. But with that said, there are a few things you can do. So first of all, you can be a model attendee, right? You can kind of engage the behaviors that you hope all others engage in. You listen, you're focused, you keep your contributions succinct and important, and you just kind of display good participant behavior. So that's a great contribution because hopefully then that would become normative. The second set of things you can do is engage almost in something I call shadow facilitation, where you could kind of um, loosely facilitate such that let's say that you notice that Jane hasn't participated, right? You can then, you could say, hey, Jane, what are your thoughts on this? Um, you know, Gordon, did you have any thoughts that you wanted to add? So you can kind of engage in these um, participant facilitation behaviors, which is great. Um, you know, and finally, while this strategy doesn't affect the meeting that you're in right then, is that basically you can kind of bottle up all that frustration and commit yourself to being part of the solution for a meeting that you'll run in the future. And basically, most all people at work can find some meeting at some point that they'll be leading, whether it's a meeting at work, a meeting in the community, a meeting in the religious institution, a meeting with their family. Um, so make a commitment that when you do have the opportunity to lead a meeting, that you do it right that you become the example and the exemplar, and that hopefully your practices get experienced by others, and then they become exemplars. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you're right. Everyone at some point is really going to be running some meetings or participating in a, a higher level leadership part of that meeting, even if they're not a leader, and even if it's not at work. Um, so being able to show the way to others and then be that model participant makes a lot of sense. I feel like a lot of the advice that we give on the show is around being that example of what you want the workplace and the environment to be. So I definitely appreciate that advice here sure. as well. Well, you know, we don't have, um, we can't control 
others. Um, but we can always control ourselves. And so we can just keep making good choices and we can just look for opportunities when it's our when it's our turn just to do it right. When you get into a position of power, you can say, now I can unleash all this meeting science that I've been holding inside of me this whole time on my company. <laughs> but for now, you can just model it. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so is there anything else that you think our listeners should know uh, about the book or about your work or anything else that you're excited about that you want people to know uh, before we move into our final fun question? Um, well, I mean, I truly believe that um, meeting science can be fun. Um, we, you know, the elimination of meetings is a false goal. Like we need meetings for communication, cooperation, consensus, decision making. In many regards, um, you know, organizational democracy takes place in meetings. So the, the, the ultimate goal is not to eliminate meetings. The, the ultimate goal is to eliminate bad meetings. And the meeting science provides a great deal of insights on how to do it. And so when I think about the success of the book, and you mentioned these wonderful accolades earlier, um, I think it really speaks to the fact that people are tired of business as usual. They're tired of accepting bad meetings as a way of life. And that there's this recognition that the science indeed can be helpful. And as someone who studies meetings, there's just nothing kind of that's, that's more uplifting than knowing that we have science out there that can fix really vexing problems for people. So I hope people check out the book, you know, find various solutions that might resonate with them. And then try it, right? Learn, reflect, and grow. Um, you know, that's kind of the mantra of any kind of good organizational intervention. Try something new, see how it works. But the nice thing is that when it comes to meetings is that because people are so incredibly frustrated that if you're taking action to try to make them better, when you're showing that you're committed to being part of the solution, it just reflects so well upon you. So... I want to echo everything you just said. I mean, everything about it is so, everything about our meetings is so relevant to so many of us. So I'm very excited that you wrote this book. I've seen so many people talking about it and trying to implement what you say and what you've taught others. And I think it's making such a big impact on the workforce and the workplace. And I'm really excited for this work. And I'm hoping that our listeners that haven't heard of you, I feel like a lot of them already have. But for those that haven't, we're going to include everything in the show notes. So you can go in there, you can click, you can read the book, you can see the other work that Stephen's done and really get familiar with it because there's a lot that's really easy to implement that you can take charge of when you go back into the workplace and, and help create a better work environment for yourself and for your teams. So now, our final fun question. You ready? I think so. <laughs> if you could invite anyone to have a meeting <laughs> with you, who would you invite and what would the meeting be about? Oh, dear. Um, and this is living or, or dead? Anybody. Yeah, let's just say anybody. You could have a meeting with any any person that has Gosh, ever existed. I mean, well, the, okay. Um, I'm just going to go... <laughs> I'm just going to go old school. I think it'd be really fun to have Moses at a meeting. I kind of want to get the inside scoop about, <laughs> um, you know, what he really yeah. saw and his experiences. I, I just want to hear from the, the horse's mouth. So I'm gonna go with, <laughs> I'll go with Moses. <laughs> but 
<laughs> Moses is a good one. I know, exactly. Moses up with that but, burning well, bush, man. I'm going to encourage him to invite his <laughs> friends. So um, that makes it extra, extra special. Mm. How long would this meeting be? That's awesome. <laughs> and how, yeah, I was just going to say that. How long would you meet with Moses for? <laughs> well, at least 40 years. <laughs> it wouldn't seem that long to him, I suppose. No, no, no. Well, then, yeah, it would be a blink of the eye. <laughs> Amazing. I love it. Uh, well, thank you so, so much. We're so grateful for your time and we're so grateful for our listeners' time. Everybody, uh, check out Steve's book. It's awesome. We've learned so much from it. And uh, don't have any more stupid <laughs> meetings. Have meetings that are actually productive and make people feel happier, healthier, and get your work done more effectively. So thanks again. My pleasure. And thank you both for doing this. Absolutely. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Stephen for joining us today and talking about this really interesting topic. If you want to find out more about Stephen, check out all the links in our show notes. You can find him on his website, stephenrogelberg.com. And we also have links to his book and to some TED Talks. So go check them out. If you want to reach out to us, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com. You can find us on our website, workerbeing.com. And you can reach out on social media as well. Um, at workerbeing on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Thanks for listening. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabar and Katina Sawyer, and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.